What can the private wealth industry learn from the institutional money management business? That's the topic we'll be discussing today on this episode of the Take 15 series. Hi, I'm John Bowman, Head of Innovation and Product Solutions, and I'm here today in Boston, Massachusetts with the Chief Investment Officer of Rockland Trust Investment Management and an old colleague and friend, Dave Smith. Dave, welcome. Thanks, John. Good to see you. Dave, you've spent much of your career, actually, uh, transforming what some may call sleepy old trust businesses, actually, into a wealth management business that feels very much like an institutional setting. So let's talk a little bit about how that process works. Uh, so starting with the core, maybe give us a dis- some distinctions, some of the differences between the culture in an institutional setting versus a wealth management business and how that, that the implications for investment process play out. Well, the institutional business, as you well know, is all about performance. And you, a good relationship might get you three quarters of bad performance. A bad relationship gets you one. But if you have bad performance for an extended period of time, it doesn't matter how good your relationship is. In the high net worth space, the private wealth space, it's a heck of a lot more about relationships. Investment management is important and becoming increasingly important as buyers become more sophisticated. But at the end of the day, it is a relationship business, and they want to feel that they, they can trust you, and that's important to them, for clients. Um, when we think about the difference in the culture of the individuals, I think you know typically the institutional space is super competitive. Um, the providers are very much uh, overachievers, and generally speaking, they want to win. Uh, they're aggressive. They compete real well. And the high net worth space tends to be individuals that are a little bit more focused on the interpersonal skills. They tend to want to help people. They tend to want to listen to a client's uh, needs and goals and try to deliver for them. So this is a major differences between the two types of organizations. But at the end of the day, both types of organizations are delivering investment management services at the core of what they're trying to, for, to deliver for clients. So given those unique characteristics and the importance of preserving some of the distinctions, what is it about the institutional world that is important to transition into the wealth management business? Why would you want to bring some of those principles over? Well, in our opinion, you know, the institutional space is the more sophisticated of the two, at least it has, has been developed that way over time. And so in our opinion, bringing Wall Street to Main Street just made sense. We believe very much in the concept of modern portfolio theory as the way to invest. Um, I think historically the high net worth wealth management space has operated you know, going back over generations and decades on the prudent man standard. And so a very different way of thinking about things. The wealth management industry has evolved and now um, the prudent investor is the real scheme that folks are using to think about managing client assets. And that just means simply diversifying beyond just a few high quality, trust quality companies and some treasury securities, but thinking about the world in a modern portfolio theory context where you're adding asset classes into a portfolio construct Some of those asset classes, when taken in isolation, actually might be very risky, but when you include them in a a dynamic portfolio, they can, even though it's risky in isolation, the inclusion in the portfolio can reduce the volatility of the portfolio and enhance returns. So it it requires a sort of change of thinking a little bit, Um, but I think if that's the right thing to do for the most sophisticated investors in the world, that is, think about the world from a diversification standpoint. Why isn't it appropriate for Wall Street, for Main Street? So our, our, sh- our short saying on that is we essentially decided to bring Wall Street to Main Street, and we think it's the right thing to do. So when you think about the full spectrum of flavors of investment management processes and cultures, uh, from the institutional all the way to maybe the local wealth management shop, mm-hmm. and you survey the current state of the industry, 
Where do you think the sweet spot is and how does that relate into transforming the wealth management shop today? So, so to me, I think they're on two ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, there's a belief that investment management services are a commodity and the most appropriate thing an investment management firm can do for a high net worth individual or even in, in any individual is to help them with their asset allocation and then use index products to fill out the asset allocation when the asset allocation work has been completed. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, in my, in my view of the world, there is the proprietary individual stock picker that is trying to pick stocks for a client in the hopes that they can outperform the S&P 500. And then there's everything in between. Um, on the, the continuum where there is asset allocation and indexing, I think those firms are trying to differentiate themselves or add value by delivering wealth management services above and beyond the asset allocation work. And to us, that means things helping clients with things like financial planning, um, thinking about estate planning and helping the estate planning process, real personal services, helping folks through transition when someone passes away, for example. Many of the things that you would ascribe to the family office environment. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, that individual stock pickers really typically just an investment firm. And while they might try to help a client with some of those other services, that's not really their expertise. In our opinion, the sweet spot is a firm that can do both, that has a, rig a rigid investment program, a world-class investment management solution, if you will, that couples that investment management solution with all of those wealth management services that I just described. And we think if you can do those two things real well, it'll be very difficult for folks to, to steal your clients away because you're doing both of the things that any competitor would provide. And it helps you substantiate your fees, which I think is important in this business. I would think particularly in the wealth management world where fixed cost is of increased importance uh, given the scale uh, of that particular organization that you'd have to be very careful to ensure that you are creating stock selection and process around the, those asset classes that you ensure you have alpha and, and a real track record in ensuring that you have quality alpha selection there and with the other asset classes, certainly finding a beta alternative. Right. So in our model, you're absolutely right, John. We have the ability, we think, to pick large cap stocks real well. And I know some listeners might say, well, geez, that's the most efficient asset class on the planet, large cap stocks. Well, I think there's all kinds of academic research that shows it's very difficult for the average large cap manager to beat the S&P 500. I think that's true on its face. However, if you adjust for risk and taxes, we think there are a number of managers that have historically been able to add value, and that's clearly the case in our track record. Um, so we have selected that as our, as our core skill set. And then around that, we've decided that we can't be experts at everything else we want to include in a client's portfolio, but still believe that there's an alpha opportunity in many of those asset classes. So when we look at a space like, for example, MLPs, we just decided to include national limited partnerships in our client accounts at the end of last year. And the first decision we said, does, does it make sense to include MLPs in a portfolio? So we did all our asset allocation work looking at the correlation coefficient, the standard deviation of returns relative to everything else we have in the portfolio and optimized to that, and said to ourselves, yes, it does. Okay, well, we've made that decision to include MLPs. Now the question is, do you do active or passive? And so we looked at the range of managers and decided that it, it is evidence to us that when we adjust for risk and for taxes, that active managers do add value there. And we went out and found an active manager that we've been very pleased with. In other cases, we've discovered that, you know what, when we adjust for risk and taxes, it doesn't look like there's real alpha. And so then we'll use an index product. So we're sort of agnostic between active and passive. As long as we think we can find an active manager that will add value above and beyond the fees, we're happy to take them on. If we decide that that's not the case, then index is the way to go. As you look back across the few times that you have been able to do this, 
any lessons learned where maybe you try to force an institutional principle yeah. on just a, a square peg in a, in a round hole? Well, I think a couple things that you have to understand. First of all, that some of the colleagues that you've joined might not be up for it. Um, this is a very a difficult transition sometimes to make. Folks who believe very much in the prudent man mentality might chafe under a more diversified approach. And so you have to know going in that there might be some professional turnover that results in that. The second component is that your clients are individuals. And the behavioral component of handling individual assets is very real. And so the change that you're talking about, um, you need to be able to communicate real well what it is you're doing and why it's of benefit to them. And understand that these changes are tax implications, have tax implications for most of these clients. And so you need to understand what those implications are going to be going into it. So the timing of it, you know, at the end of a bull run, obviously much more difficult to implement this than after a bear market has, has been in place. Um, so you need to understand that the taxes and the, per and the behavioral component of this, and, and so therefore take it with, uh, with some granularity, move, move along slowly as you transition folks, uh, ultimately with an end goal of, of getting a new philosophy and process put in place. For those professionals in the wealth management business that might be considering such a large and uh, transformational shift in their business, any advice you might have for them? Yeah, simply I think you need to believe in what you're doing. I mean, to me, the transition that we've made in both cases that you've referenced, um, I believe very much in. And so much so that I've invested my own capital on a firm in our process. And when you sit across the table and explain your methodology and your philosophy to a prospective client, and you're passionate about it because you really truly believe it's the right way to invest money, so much so that you've committed your own capital to it, it's a very easy story to tell. And then the clients buy into it, the colleagues buy into it, and, and it all flows from there. Great. So passion's important. Well, thanks once again for watching this episode of Take 15. And Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Copyright 2011 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.